Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. I was going to remark that you look very well put together today. You've got a collared shirt on. Me or Aaron? Oh, I don't. You. Uh, honestly, it's uh, 31 de- 37 degrees outside, and I went outside to do some stuff. And, and 37F. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have an international audience here, so right. you know, they may but think they, they, they know where the hell I'm at. It doesn't need – I don't think that's a detail that really needs pointed out. But, yes, 37 degrees Fahrenheit. All of last week we were in the mid-80s, and I think I got a little, like – acclimatized to 80 degree weather i went outside to do some stuff and i had to come back in and put a long sleeve shirt on so this is not to look uh sexy for you or anything robbie this is just i got cold dang that hurts my feelings well you know you know you know Aaron merrill welcome to the blood origins roundup again thank you i think this is the first time that i've actually been on it with both of you yeah, we. I, I had to talk Cody out of jumping ship earlier today. That is, a, that is, that is a horrible lie from someone who this, this is all. This is coming from the type of person 
that thinks that I need to clarify whether I'm talking about 37 degrees Fahrenheit or 37 degrees Celsius. So take that with a grain of salt. Well, we're happy to have you again, Aaron. Um, you are one of the behind the scenes people. And uh, Cody, since we typically imbibe in some alcoholic beverages whilst we do roundups, Erin has her own. I went out and actually got alcohol. Do you want to read it, Cody? Is this a cast iron bitch? Yes. Holy crap. Can I order that? It's from a local uh, brewer near near my hometown. I don't know. It's It's Bigelow Brewing. All right. Big shout out to Bigelow Brewing Company. Maybe they can sponsor the podcast, right? Since we're not getting anywhere at Peach Street Distillery Uh, at this stage. We have we have uh, we have moved forward with Peach Street Distillers. Not we we haven't really gotten anywhere, but the ball is threatening to start rolling because of really absolutely. Listener James sent them both a contact form on their website which he then screenshot as well as a DM on Instagram. Yeah. It looks like he's trying to, uh, he starts off with, he wants to order some, which is a great lead in, right? Like he sends them a message that says, I was wondering if it were all possible for me to get some of your product in Ohio. Great way to lead in. Then he says, additionally, I wanted to say that I heard about you guys by listening to a podcast named blood origins. This dumbass parentheses, his own words, because I did say that, named Cody won't shut up about you guys and how amazing your agave is. You should check out the podcast and maybe send him a bottle for all the free advertising. No matter what, cheers, congratulations on what is being heralded as a great product. So James, huge kudos. Here's to, here's to James. Yeah, yeah. James. not not cheers to the rest of you because it only took me like 10 weeks of me saying it would be great if a listener did this. Um, James then messaged to us says, here you go, Cody. Um, I tried their contact form on the website and I went through Instagram. Great episode this week. Don't sell your guy. Don't sell yourself short. You guys have at least 13 listeners these days. Love the show and all you guys do. Keep that shit up, James. So James is currently my my favorite listener just at this moment right here because he went out and and uh, that's as far when I said we've got the ball rolling that's it that's that's just nothing's happened since they haven't contacted us or anything um but I do again have a glass of Degave extra or extra Degave sorry from Peach Street Distillers in Palisade Colorado and I highly recommend it to everyone it's my new favorite drink well, how about we do a little bit of an incentive here in that I um, finally got my, my act together. I still haven't done the Blood Origins Canada shirt. I'll put it on my to-do list right now, actually, because I keep forgetting. B.O. Canada shirt. But I did order some very new uh, cutout stickers for Blood Origins. Very nice, actually. Uh, both of you have envelopes on the way to both of your addresses full of stickers. And a magnet. I like magnets. Yeah. Yeah. So how about we do this? Uh, those of you that take a screenshot of uh, your contact form 
being sent to Peach Street Distillers. Awesome. Um, I'll send you some stickers and a magnet. How about that? There you go. All you got to do is text us that screenshot with your uh, mailing, preferred mailing address, obviously, to 620-860-4804. You can email it to info at bloodorigins.com. Or, you you know, if you do it on uh, Instagram, you can DM us over there as well. Just send us your mailing address and a screenshot of you. You could DM them on Instagram as well, right, Robbie? Yeah. Or fill out their contact form on their website, whichever way feels better to you. Peach Street Distillers, they're in Palisade, Colorado. And by the way, I promise you, if you take a regular whiskey glass, fill it with ice, then fill it up with... Peach Street Distillers, the Gave Extra. I put this like a splash of water, like I turn the faucet on and off real fast. And, and then you let it sit for about 30 seconds. It's going to be one of the best drinks you've ever had in your life. Well, let's get on it, folks. Um, How far away are they from you? In too far, far. Like it's a, it's a four-hour drive. Um, oh, that's nothing. Oh, no, but I got my local liquor store ordering it by the case for me. Yeah, their sales have like quadrupled. No, no, I think it's a pretty big operation. I mean, they're the, my local liquor store carried their stuff, just not this one particular product that I wanted that they have in. And so I said, "Look, I, I need I need a case of it." And they called me two days later, and they had it. So it's it's uh it's good stuff. Makes you feel good, and it tastes good. Good stuff. Well, um, supposedly, uh, we got a lot of text messages this week. We didn't just get Dave texting us twice or three times, but what did you say? 19 text messages? Yeah, since the last roundup, um, we've had 19 text messages, which some people are going like, oh, that's not very many text messages in a week. But we, we, we need to admit that like three or four is usually a big week for us. So 19... Uh, <laughs> 19 is running it through the roof for us. Um, let me, uh, I had, let's go. One of them I really wanted to read here from, uh, from a person that didn't put their name. Damn it. I always like to say their name. Send me, text me your name if you listen to this and don't hear it. He's the one that responded to, uh, that he's been using uh, the Merlin app last week. And then he sent me a picture of his cats sitting on his desk. Because we talked about feral cat hunting season in the, in the last roundup. And his text says, I like kitties. They are soft and furry and kill things. They are my, these are my indoor only kitties. So he keeps his cats indoors. I believe pet ownership and gun ownership need to be done responsibly and very hard to enforce either one of them. I really thought that was a good text, right? Like, like we wouldn't be arguing about a lot of things if people, if more people just did those things right, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about needing more laws of things if, uh, if people wouldn't uh, continue to abuse the privileges that we have in this country. Aaron, are you a cat person or a dog person? I am a dog person. Hmm. Yeah. I grew up with cats, but they were barn cats, so weren't necessarily feral because we, you know, they they stayed around. We fed them, but they but they still contributed to the global biodiversity decline. Yes, 
Yes, they did. They also they kept the mice and not so many birds, a lot of mice. Gotcha, gotcha. That's why I have dogs. Mm-hmm. That is wow. What cats are evil. Like I, yeah. I genuinely think cats. Like I've never had a cat around that I didn't feel like was not plotting to kill me at any giving second. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't like. I don't need that in a pet. <laughs> um, the next text again is from another no name. Quick reminder: if you're listening, just drop your name in the text because we while we get your phone number. Um, he, he jumps in on the gun control discussion. The main part that I'll read is so like Cody said. Um. <laughs> Cody didn't quite say it quite like this, but see, but he's what's so like Cody said, their shit at enforcing what's already on the books and no new laws will help. That's not, uh, that's a slightly uh, hyperbolic paraphrasing. It's not exactly how I said it, um, but he's stepping in there. And then he comes back to uh, when Doug Duran uh, on last week's roundup mentioned the, uh, kind of lack of a hands-on education approach. Um, and this person, uh, hunter education, gun safety education approach, this person was a hunter education instructor in Oregon for seven, eight, seven or eight years. And he said, we rarely failed a student in face-to-face, um, but gives the example of when they held a field day testing for students who had taken the course online the last one they failed 12 out of 72. Um, it, it's a long text and I really appreciate it, but I don't, I'm going to summarize as, you know, even the kids that were taking the online course and kind of just clicking buttons to get through their hunter education and gun safety um, weren't engaged enough. Kudos, kudos to them for, for failing them on the, uh, on the safe handling of, of firearms in their courses. So his, that was his input on that. Yeah. We have, we use, so I'm a hunter safety instructor here in Maine and we have like the plastic dummy, right. You know, guns that people have to go through. And it's basically just, you know, your pump action, your lever action. Um, and it, they don't necessarily get tested on anything other than the parts of it. Um, and then it's just sort of like pretending to load and unload, but if it's not your normal weapon that are going to be a normal weapon for you, um, there's not a whole lot of emphasis put on it. Yeah, and it would be tough. Like, you know, how does someone who wants to hunt, who doesn't have a gun yet, like, how would they pass that if they've never done it? This is where they're, they're, they're just started. So are you making them go through something else before they get to that? It's, it gets very tricky, yep. in my opinion. Okay, Cody, next one. Um, okay, so th- now we're going to jump on Dave. Dave from Wisconsin, who I don't, I don't uh, believe that we know him as anything more than Dave from Wisconsin. Like I sometimes have this fear that I'm not recognizing who this person is. But I, I, Dave is a phenomenal listener um, and always gives us really, really incredible feedback through the text, which anyone can give us by sending a text to 620-860-4804. Dave puts in here, did we discuss a distrust of uh, wildlife, of DNR, of wildlife law enforcement? I'm not sure where he's coming from with this. 
um, because I don't remember talking about it last week. Do you, Robbie? Did we talk about a distrust of law enforcement? No, I think he might have just been talking about generally any sort of game laws and changing game laws and why they would need to change game laws based on the text, the way that I read his text. He says, and again, Dave sent three pretty lengthy uh, texts this week. One of them starts out with, what do you think causes people to distrust the DNR? Here in Wisconsin, there is so much distrust around that. Many people believe any rumor of conspiracy they hear. That's, I think that's a... That's a nationwide thing. If you, if you put a hundred hunters in a room, some small percentage of them are convinced that the that the wildlife that the game warden is tracking their phone 365 days a year. Um, he says, "I even grew up with people that feel it's better for wildlife if we would abolish the DNR and let people hunt or fish anything at any time." I think it could be – this is not Dave's stance, by the way, at all. I, I want to point that out. I think it could be a lack of knowledge of natural resource management history. And I'm also curious if the same level of distrust exists across the nation. Um, I think in pockets – from my experience, Dave, I've hunted in, in uh, 37 states now. And I think – you you bump into it. Um, and I, I think that ev- – not, not every one, but every – every community has a few people that are just, you know, and it's weird with wildlife. Like I get, is it just the law enforcement component of it, Cody? That is the, is the central distrust versus the biologists. I think it can be, but I also think there's a, uh, there's a, okay. I, I love law enforcement. Okay. But I also think there's this added thing. Here's an example. I have 40 acres in Colorado. And I have a lot of mule deer in Colorado. I, I, I say a lot. I see a couple mule deer every day somewhere around my property. They're, they're here, right? Very regularly. Um, and I am now three years into not being able to hunt them. I think there's an aggravation that comes out of that, that I know I have enough. And, and I'm not really giving excuses and I'm not frustrated at all with game wardens or, or DNR people, but I think there's this added thing of telling me what I can do on my land that sometimes with me makes me bitch out loud. Sometimes with some people makes them actually angry and upset with those folks. Does that make sense? As opposed to normal law enforcement, you usually have to create a human victim before they kind of get involved. Right. They don't really come to your house and get mad at you at speeding on your driveway. Um, And so I think there's something in there that probably makes it inherently more than just regular law enforcement, that there's some folks that think that people who are telling them what they can and can't do with wildlife in, in their neck of the woods upsets them. Well, it's a classic syndrome. You just painted it that you know better than the biologist because you see it every day. Like I see those turkeys every day. I see these deer every day. I know better. Yeah. I I think there's a spectrum and I think what you said just falls on the spectrum. And there's other people like me that I I don't think I know better. I just want to hunt a mule deer on my own ground. Right. And I don't, I don't go and do it because I'm following what the biologists and the, and the rules of the land say, but I want to, 
And if I have a couple more agave, I'll bitch about not being able to do it. But it doesn't mean that I that I distrust him or am angry with him. But I think there's folks that are because they think, you know, you, anyone that's ever gone out and pounded pavement and asked for permission has run into those people, right? Like, I bet, I bet half a dozen times in my life I've asked a landowner if I could hunt mule deer in western Kansas. And they said, only if you shoot everyone you see, right? And I'm not, that's because they tear up fence and they make problems for them and they eat their wheat, right? And and I'm not saying that person distrusts the DNR. I just think there's a different level of victimization and, and some people approach it differently. I don't know. Next, The next text from Dave was thank you for discussing feral cats on the roundup with Doug. I think we need to pass laws like we have with dogs. And he even says that he has a local animal rescue that promotes adopting feral cats to serve as your outdoor cats, which obviously just. <laughs> no, we, we, ha we have that here too. One of the local animal shelters. Just how does that change things? It's basically, I don't know, taking a cat off the street and putting it into and a barn. Putting it in your backyard so that it can wander on the streets every so often and then come back to your house. Right. I guess. I know. I will say on this text, I don't know. I'm about halfway embarrassed that it never crossed my mind to make the argument. Why don't we have a... I'm, I'm using air quotes, a leash law for cats. Why do we have a leash law for dogs, but not for cats? Is it just because dogs have more of an ability to harm lar humans. larger critters and humans? I totally. Absolutely. And if, the, if a cat was triple the size of what it is, we would certainly have leash, law, uh, leash laws. Next. One more from Dave. Right. Dave was on oh, Dave. Dave was on power. Dave Dave got Dave got fired from his job because all he did was text us all week. Um Dave basically kind of uh it so then he goes on to gun control because we did hit on that with with uh Doug Duran. Um he says he likes Doug's idea about the possibility of a license. Um, however, I don't think those for more gun control would actually agree to that because the mentality seems to be only be add new laws and not necessarily make more effective laws. Um, he kind of just echoes what we said. Um, you know, that's a gray area. I just got a, another, there's a, the, while we're recording this on Wednesday, another mass shooting in Tulsa um, moments ago um, or sometime today. Um, this is going to be a conversation that we, that, uh, you know, some things like uh, we're, we're, we're never going to solve it. We can only hope to chip away and improve the situation. And uh, Dave has some good points. And a couple times in that text as well, he says, I agree with Cody. So Dave's a smart hmm. man. Can't argue with that. Yeah. Hard to, hard to go real, real deep into the, uh, you know, I mean, there's an entire podcast dedicated dedicated to it. Any topics that come across the, the text message? No, no, to discuss at no, all? no new topics. No, you should look at this kind of all responsive text this week. 
All right, perfect. Perfect. Well, we have a, a lot of different articles. I know that we, as we were getting ready for this roundup, we were like, man, we don't have much in the news. But it seems like whenever we say something like that, things tend to just like blossom around us. Uh, lots of different things that have come up. Um, you know, this big horn sheep allocation scenario in New Mexico is one. Um, the game meat situation in Victoria. I know we don't have it on the, on the cards right now, but um, there's been a lot of interest and a lot of furor, uproar, whatever you want to call it, about this new uh, meat amendment to the Meat Industry Act in the state of Victoria and Australia. And really, interestingly, the, the amendment is uh, tied to game meat. And so what the amendment states is this, is it says, a person must not dispose of game meat for human consumption unless... The meat has been processed at a licensed facility. A facility solely processes game not intended for sale. A, uh, a place licensed or authorized that purpose in accordance with the, the laws of another state or territory. So the big uproar here is can't really gift your game meat any longer. You can't give your game meat away. Here's the kicker. The Australian Deer Association has just released an article, and I want to get these guys on the podcast, that states, the headline of the article is this, recent changes, open parenthetics, or lack of, to the Agricultural Legislation Amendment Bill of 2022. I.e., guys, it's been like that pretty much from the beginning. What's it? So I'm just like, what the hell is going on? What's the science behind those decisions or logic? I don't. I shouldn't have said science. What's the logic behind those decisions? My gut says it's a food. It's a food control measure for someone that has small beef, cattle, pig, goat, sheep, whatever operation, and they want to slaughter their own animals package the meat and sell the meat and making sure that it's sanitary enough for human consumption. To me, that's the genesis of it. But think about this, Aaron. If you really wanted to stick it to hunters, say that giving your, giving your meat away to people is illegal. Right. I would have broken the law almost the minute I picked up my moose from the butcher shop. Cause I was handing out packages of burger and steak left and right for people that we you know were congratulating me, had never had moose meat before. Here's a package to try. Yeah, but you might have been in one of those you, you got processed, you got the meat processed, right? I did, yes. So maybe you would have been covered because it would have been an approved facility. Right. But what if you decide to process your own moose meat yourself? Well, and that's what we do with deer up until like we were shooting three a year and then we stopped, but we would, we would just hang. I mean, and so many hunters do that. You just hang them out back and butcher it yourself. Mm -hmm. Did it say that the facility, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Did it say that the processing facility had to be wild game only processing as well? It's so crazy, man. It the it it said no, it the the insertion of game is the amendment. 
Hmm. Which is, I think, what unfortunately gay meat has been pushed into this turmoil. Right. Because the meat underneath it's a meat processing facility, not a gay meat processing facility, a meat processing facility that solely processes game not intended for sale. Those are the only two places that game is mentioned in this amendment. And if people are interested in it, it's the Amendment of the Meat Industry Act of 1993. Wow. Yeah, but is that, a, is that actually a business in Australia? Are there no. professional sanctioned processing places that only process game meat that are not intended for sale? No, you cannot buy game meat in Australia. That's why I think the whole game component of this in the Meat Industry Act has been lumped in to this broader idea of sanitary conditions for right. local domesticated meat products. Interesting. And that just happened today. Or in 1993. Right. Yeah. Or oh, 1993. And they just, they just added the word game in there, which is certainly a huge change, but according to ADA, it's not. So hopefully we can get to the bottom of it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's breaking news, breaking news this week happening right now. The other breaking news that I don't have on our list, or maybe you did put it on there. No, you didn't. Is Maxi Pia Lewis out of Namibia, African woman who is leading one of the leading voices in the Community Leaders Network in Africa, calling Ricky Gervais a colonialist. Neo-colonial. Neo-colonial. Love it. Absolutely love it. And that's what's needed. It's needed. An African voice that is like saying, guys, I don't hunt. She says in this article, I don't hunt. I don't like guns. Because guns killed a lot of my people in the apartheid era. But to take a livelihood away from the people of the community of Namibia, I'm not for. No. And I read, I read that article before I sent it over to you. And it just it highlights how removed these anti-hunting personalities are when they're on social media. And they, you know, they see one photo. They go on a tangent about how awful it is without actually thinking about the impact on the local level, the local economy, the, you know, everything that goes into hunting that one animal, but they see a hunter, you know, posing with, with that dead animal and smiling and they think that's horrible. It's a trophy hunter. we got to shut it down. I loved the article. I thought it was fantastic. Here's the, let's now, just dwell on Ricky Gervais for 30 seconds. Let's right? not because I'm, I'll just drink this whole beer. So I don't say something Whoa. I'm not supposed to. He's hilarious. He's he's freaking hilarious. He he when he stood up in front of those awards. Do you remember him standing up in front of the award shows and telling the people of Hollywood they have no right to speak out on political issues because they don't know what real life is about? Yet he No, I know, I know, but I mean like irony. Come on. I was jumping up and down in my seats. I'm like, yeah, tell him Ricky. I rolled my eyes so hard. Tell him, Ricky. And then he comes out and tells the people of Africa what they can do with their natural resources. It's, it's a, uh, it, it like, it sucks. Cause I think the dude is hilarious. I, I really do. I think his, his comedy, um, I take, uh, 
you know, there's, there's uh, things that bother me about is, you know, I got to degrade everything because I'm an atheist and degrade everything that opposes that, but that's his right. I firmly believe that's his right. Um, but he, when he starts uh, using his influence to just kind of shit on the people of Africa and how they use their resources, um, the hypocrisy is so thick, right? Like it's so, so, so thick. And uh, kudos to uh, Luis. Is that Miss Luis be the proper way to address her? She's she's uh, gone to the United Kingdom to stand in front of these people and say, you have no idea what, what you're doing to us. And, you know, kind of, hey, civilized world, you did this to Africa once already. Please, please don't do it again, you know? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two pieces that I want to highlight. Number one is big shout out, big kudos to Patrick Greenfield. Patrick Greenfield is a writer for The Guardian. The Guardian is not known for its articles that are pro-hunting or pro-environment. Very much a, um, well, actually, I'll take that back. Pro-environment being the other side of the coin. Um, but not very well known for being pro-hunting, very leftist type uh, journalism. But Patrick Greenfield often writes pro-hunting articles, so thank you, Patrick. I think the best part of this entire article is this, which she's quoted by saying, The ban is a form of neo-colonialism. We are open for discussions as long as there is mutual respect, she said. Who is Ricky Gervais? Question mark. We don't even know him. Celebrities have the money, the influence, and the access to social media, not our communities. He should be standing up for the vulnerable. And then she proceeded to invite him. Like every professional hunter we've had on this uh, podcast or on our, on, on, on our, on our feed, on our, on our platform, if you want to see it for yourself, just ask. Right. Because we'll be more than accommodating for you to go see what we're talking about. Yeah, it's uh, he. He's one really that. Uh, while I disagree with a lot of things that he said in the life, I, I never saw him as a hypocrite till he came out with this stance right here, with with this particular stance right here, and that it, uh, it's insanely hypocritical to chastise Hollywood for thinking they know what's best for the regular Joe, and then just dumping on Africa because you know better than them. Yep. Hundred percent. Yep. So two articles floating around. Uh, good stuff. Erin, uh, I'm going to keep going on the articles that you sent. Yeah. Uh, because I have a, a chip to bear. A chip to bear. A chip to bear. Maybe both. Nope. I don't nope. know. Nobody says that. Nope. Yeah, I just said it twice in different formats. <laughs> both so wrong. It goes. Both wrong. Both not phrases. So uh, Outdoor Life just published an article that has a headline, after canceling its spring bear hunt, Washington sees bear conflicts in the suburbs. No shit. Dun, dun, dun. I'm actually on the opposite side of this discussion than both of you. Send it. We can bring up, there's another one that I'm ready to debate you on too. (laughs) Why do we constantly use this argument for the idea of banning hunting because there is no way in hell 
that just because the spring bear hunt got cancelled this year, that there is now bear conflict in Seattle. There is no correlation. Oh, I disagree. Zero. I disagree, and I think it's because it's not even no, in the same unit. No, but we're we're talking about we're talking about the okay, okay, all right. You're you're right. You're you're correct in this one. Say that one you're more time. You're correct for this the first time. I've been doing this for for uh, two two years uh, two years today. By the way, um, June Ooh, I didn't June, know that was your anniversary. June one, right? June one. Um, mm-hmm. And I, for the first time, you're right. But I think, okay, so back out of this exact example of Seattle neighborhood, but I think sometimes scientists, what's the word I'm looking for that makes where an animal, I'm, I've lost this word and so I'm going to sound like a dumbass that doesn't know what he's talking about because I can't remember the word that I'm looking for. But when animals become less afraid of humans there's a specific word that i'm looking for um dehabitualization is exactly the word that i was looking for and i couldn't remember it which is, which is a thing that is hard to quantify which is a thing that is hard to put numbers on which is a thing that when you say they stopped mountain lion hunting in california so there's more attacks. There's there's more conflict. It's very hard. Over time, over time, I can agree with that. It's statement. very hard, though, to give a number, right? It's very hard, though. I cannot agree with that being a switch. How long does it take? How long does it take for bears to go, huh, human, there's, there's this person is no longer a threat or is less of a threat than they were a week ago or a month ago or a year. I don't know how long it takes. I'm conceding to you on the Washington example, because the areas that they're talking about were not areas anywhere near where hunting would have been happening. Correct. I do. However, after reading Geist's book on wolves, I believe is called the seven depths of dehabitualization of wolves or something along those lines, or that's a theory that he had. I'm screwing that all up. I'm a full drink and a half in bear with me, but that's a thing that scientists don't jump on because it's hard to quantify. It's hard to, it's hard to quantify or qualify. It's very hard to draw that line to there's nobody chasing them around, so they're less scared of humans, right? It, that that that's a hard thing to prove or disprove, really. Um, I believe in it, though, and that was what justified my reaction to the headline. Aaron Merrill. Hmm. I don't know. I think. Obviously, there are social and biological carrying capacities of bear. And even though it's not in the same area, it's at least getting people to realize that there are still issues. You know, there are still, it's not an apples to apples, but bears are still an issue. Bears, there's still interactions with humans that are causing problems. And so, yes, it's not in the same area. But as 
spring seasons or more bear hunting gets restricted, you're going to have more and more of these incidences across the state. So I'm all for bringing more and more media attention to, to the conflicts, just so people realize that at the end of the day, we do need to hunt them in order to make sure that they're at a so a, an acceptable social carrying capacity for the general public and for hunters. Totally agree. Totally agree with that statement. My issue with this article was conflating the lack of a spring bear season with this increase in human wildlife conflict. I do not there is no correlation. There's no way in hell that they are they are they, they are causation related. However, to Cody's point, and to your or well, more to your point, Aaron, there is this need. I'll get to you. Don't worry, Cast Cody. Iron more to Aaron's point. That's her nickname. For no, my that's yes. not. I'm, I'm never going to call her that. That's the beer she's drinking. Oh, oh, okay. Sure. You didn't, you, that was just, okay, yeah. Slip of the Freudian slip, right? Not the first time I've been called a bitch. Um, I, I do agree that it should more have pointed to the fact that there is a prolific bear population in Washington State. Right. And that human wildlife conflict is starting to occur in areas that it never was yep. occurring in the past, just like New Jersey. Now, to your point, Cody, from a quantification and qualification perspective, I think you can quantify that sort of tipping point. Well, not the tipping point itself, but through a trend analysis over time, you can show interactions, both interactions increasing and conflict increasing. Now, what on that line determines whether or not you've got like a problem or not, that's going to be highly subjective. You also find a lot of folks that when you try to use habitualization as an argument, people can very, very quickly kind of try to come up with other factors. Well, it wasn't that there's not a hunting season. It's that people are hiking more because of COVID, Right. And that's what I, and some of those are probably true actually, but that's what I mean by it's a, it's a point that's hard to, to nail down. It's a point that's hard to do a study that's not going to get contradicted on. In, in it. Mm -hmm. And let me correct myself. I should have said habitualization. I said dehabitualization. Right. The dehabitualization would be caused by, in, in my mind, someone cranking off around at them every once in a while when they see a human they you know right. that that their their neighbor drops to the ground someone a, a woman and here's an here's an argument for you i think every once in a while that yellowstone park ought to be shut down for a week and somebody walk in there and and crank off a couple of rounds at the buffalo right but a a young then that Excuse me, a bison just killed a right. woman. God, here yeah. we go. Here we go. Yes, I've had too much to drink, and I called it a buffalo. But yes, a bison. Did she die? I didn't know she died. She definitely yes. got gored. She died. And and oh, I'm sober enough to refuse to speak ill of the of a dead person. Here's, here's, here's the thing that I don't understand. Here's what I'll, I'll put it in context because this idea that you can get out in national parks in the United States is completely foreign to me completely foreign to someone coming from South Africa because you are not allowed out of your vehicles 
in national parks in South Africa, only in designated spots. Every year, there is a lion and rhino park that is 45 minutes away from Johannesburg. It's a great tourist destination. You all should go when you go. You'll see lions up close. You'll see lions feeding up close. See rhino, everything. Every year, one person dies because they decide to get out of their vehicle in the lion enclosure to get up close and personal with a lion because they think it's cuddly and they want to get a closer picture. Right. They're taking a selfie and then they wonder, oh, shoot, I should have stayed in the car. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what goes through your mind as the horn. Well, I know. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I, I just contend that if every 16 weeks the park rangers went out there and you know, I wouldn't even argue that you had to harvest a bison. Just crank off a few shots at them. You would literally prove habitualization. They, they, they would stay, they would keep their distance more often. It's not, I'm not claiming some 100% cure, but they would keep their distance more often if, if, if once in a while when they saw a human, they were scared by something. Um, it's perfectly healthy for them. It's perfectly healthy for wild animals to be scared of predators and other things. They are already scared of things. Um, to me, that's the proof. Yellowstone National Park is the proof of dehabitualization because by far there's more deadly animal conflict there, I would, I believe, than anywhere else in the United States because those animals are never, literally never, under a threat from human beings within the park. And so to me, it's kind of a, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a Petri dish of proof to the, to the dehabitualization theory. But even if you did that and got them to a point where they're afraid of humans getting out of cars, don't you think there's still going to be people that are running after them to try to get a photo? Aaron, I'm literally biting through my tongue because this woman just died and I don't want to give my opinion on on people who get 10 yards from a 1,500-pound bison bull. Right. That had, no, it was a cow with a cough. I've had, well, yeah, oh, that, yeah either, you never either, either way, mama. maybe worse. Don't mess with mama. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I, I'm trying to uh, give me a couple of roundups. Well, I feel like I need to let some time pass it, before I give my opinion. It wasn't. It wasn't even the, and that that was number two. Number three was another article that we have uh, that came in this week. Girl attacked by cougar in northeast Washington over holiday weekend. This girl's in the hospital, man. Yeah, no, very bad. A couple of fundraisers online for it's a bad, bad situation. And mm-hmm. I I don't want anyone to, to think that I'm dumb enough to say that if you could still use hounds to chase cougars in Washington, that this wouldn't have happened. I wish that I had a scientific report in front of me to prove the fact that I truly believe it would happen less. You can't chase lions with hounds in Washington anymore. And, and I think that is going to lead to more conflict. It's going to lead to a worsening situation for human beings and lions. 
you get very many children attacked by lions and people will take things into their own hands. They just will. It's, it's why, uh, it's why we let biologists set systems and not public opinion. How can you hunt them out there? Is it just stalking? You cannot. I, I, there's no, there's no mountain lion hunting in Washington state. Right. So Protected no species since 1968. But there is a, there is a, um, gosh, I can't remember his last name. His first name is Kyle. Uh, he was just on that Giannis Patelis, um, new series out of Meat Eater. He is a biologist with the Kalispell, uh, First Nations tribe, not First Nations, um, Native American tribe there. And what they're doing is they've got a fantastic scientific study on, hazing. um, hazing with hounds. And chasing, they and they collar these mountain lions and they haze them. And then once they've gotten enough data points off that lion, they'll catch it again. They'll tranquilize it and they'll take the collar off of it. Fantastic, fantastic study. Um, but proving that you know mountain lions are a good method of mountain lion uh, sort of conflict deterrent did you, Dogs are. did you watch that yeah. did you watch that episode of Giannis Patelis's no not yet supposedly there's a crazy scene in it where they're it's like in a they, they catch a cougar in a cage or something well, like that there's one also where they've got they've got a they've got a cat that has a collar on and they're going to find it and this cat has yet to be hazed and the GPS, they get they get like twenty feet from this thing bedded down, and they know they're twenty feet from it, but things are thick enough that they can't find it from this adult lion. And and uh, no, I think it's I I think it's a very cool. Uh, I I think hazing of of uh, you know legitimate alpha predators is a solid uh, is a solid philosophy, a solid mm-hmm. plan. I also think that totally hunters agree. will in fact pay the state to do that hazing. If you let them, um, but I think it's a solid plan. So, let me ask this question because I don't know if both, either of you actually know that I've done this podcast. Have either of you heard of the heart hunting technique? No. Do you know H A R T? I needed that spelled. The accent mandated that I needed that spelled. Thank you. It stands for, oh, I'm going to mess it up. So I'm going to look it up quickly. But um, I'm going to mess it up. But hard hunting, really, what this guy does is he has designed a gun that fires a blank that has a camera attached to the scope. And the reason he did it was that he he wants the adrenaline of hunting. Uh-huh. He wants that adrenaline pump and dump when the trigger is pulled. You can smell the cordite because it's a blank. You can hear the gun go off. The right. animal reacts to the gun going off. But you actually never shoot the animal. Nope. And, and I said to him, I said, are you serious? And he goes, yes. 
uh, you'll have to listen to the podcast when we drop it. It's a phenomenal conversation because he has it all laid out, right? All the questions that you have right now, I asked him. And at the end of the day, he said, it's not a replacement of, it's an addition to. So he still hunts. He still goes out and kills. He does not. He does not. This is this is like the only way he gets that adrenaline rush. He'll take, he'll take a deer for food. But he's like, once my freeze is full, I want to keep hunting. But I don't need the meat. Okay. So he's still hunting. And so the way that he explains it, like Cody knows Africa, right? When you go to Africa, you hunt one or two species. But then there's lots of other species on offer. Well, the guy says, well, I want to hunt a Cape Buffalo. But I actually can't afford the $15,000 for a Cape Buffalo. Right. But I want the hunt. I want to get up close and personal with that buffalo, and I want to pull the trigger. So they charge him the same day rate for a PH, professional hunter, but they don't charge the trophy fee for you taking the buffalo because you don't actually take the buffalo, but you get everything but it. It's fascinating. I'll uh, you, listen to it. Cody, anyway, that was a side rabbit hole. Uh, Cody, you had an article that you wanted to challenge me on. I'm going to look up this heart system quickly. Um, Actually, I just found it. Um, what does it stand for again? I want to. I want to. Uh, I kind of want to challenge this. Oh, hunt and release technique. Hunt and release technique. Hot. As he says, it's not for everyone. He doesn't want it to be for everyone. Right. It's an in addition to. It's like. You want a bow hunt? Okay, add it to your repertoire. This is just an addition. You want to kill, you want to shoot 25 deer, but you really don't want to deal with 23 deer cleaning them? Use the hot technique. Shoot 23 deer, 25 deer. It'll feel like you're shooting 25 deer. No, no, no. <laughs> like, no, it won't. No. I don't want to uh, anyway. in any way insult this gentleman, and by all means, seems like I don't have any reason that he shouldn't be doing it. But I don't want I don't want to do that. That's okay, and he'll and you'll hear him say. I spend a lot of time in the woods just looking at things, um, and I don't need to fake the. Exp- I don't. I don't. I don't want to do this. I don't. I don't want to to go into why I'm why I don't like, why I don't want to do this. I just don't want to do this. Anyway, listen to the podcast when it drops and we can discuss the it. Ontario, uh, Ontario feral pig situation. Oh, okay. So let's talk about that. Ontario. We just, we're going to drop a podcast this week. Uh, no, actually it won't be this week. It'll be next week. Ontario Federation for Anglers and Hunters. I kept messing it up. O-F-A-H. She kept saying O-F-H, which I was like, why didn't you tell me I can say O-F-H, but it's O-F-A-H. Maybe she, she, it's the Canadian accent that gets rid of the A. Right. Anyway, so O-F-A-H came out and with a very controversial statement that got a lot of pushback, a lot of blowback, which was a pro-hunting organization was telling its members and the public that they are against the hunting or the regulations to hunt feral pigs in Ontario, Canada. And when I got on the podcast with this individual, I was very much like, what the hell? Right. 
you should have the opportunity to hunt because I had a preconceived notion of what the situation was like because I live in Mississippi. I have a feral pig invasive species problem. We're never going to get rid of them. I bet you if you asked 100 people that weren't making money, this is a very important point, that weren't making money from hunting pigs, that they would say we would get rid of them tomorrow if we could. Yeah. And this is what their argument is, is that we're at the cusp. We don't have a problem right now. We have very, very, very few pigs. The pigs that we have are escapees from farms. And we do not want to put the incentive out there for someone to say, I can make some money here. Even, I know what Cody's going to say, even if they put a law on the books that says you cannot transport pigs into the state of Ontario, people are going to do it. They're going to release pigs. And once they are released, we all know what happens. They're going to explode to a point where they are not controllable anymore and it's not an eradication situation but rather a control situation that will harm native wildlife on the landscape right erin your position i would think they could look at some place like mississippi and just see what the next five years could potentially be and we want to wipe out all like all of them like don't let it get to the point where there's no no going back that you're never going to get rid of these things. They do want to do that, but they just don't want to let public citizens do it. They're they're letting the government attempt to do that, but they don't want to let public citizens participate because they understand that because they assume ninety percent. Yes, they are assuming, but we all know that it's true, so it can't be that big of an assumption that ninety percent of the humans out there are going to abide by the law mm-hmm. and are going to be ethical and do the right thing one or two bad apples are going to go hmm i can make some money here right i can make a business here i'm going to bring pigs in even though it's illegal the difference in that argument is i'm not prepared to tax the 90 percent and then take away their ability to participate Right. For the sake of the ten, and and you're right. I'm you're right, and the old ooh twice in the freaking roundup. Yes, right. But you're also wrong on this one. That in you're 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 right from a from a scientist standpoint. You're right from the doctor side. You're wrong from the what's from from the ethical side. That that if why would you and it costs money. It costs money. It costs a lot of money. I guarantee you that they're not crazy. On a small pig population, it's not a lot. Of oh, money. you're crazy. You're crazy. You're, you're, you, if you have one person that spends, if, if you have one person that spends half their year, there's a, there's a $30,000 salary involved. And it's not, it's, it's okay. more than one person. There's probably been helicopters involved. Nobody really knows. Nobody really ever takes into consideration, you know, thousand dollars an hour at an absolute minimum to operate a helicopter Hmm. it costs money and when you have people who are make a law that says you can't you can't bring pigs in 100 percent, someone will violate that law right make another law that says this is an invasive species that we are not going to allow the commercial hunting of 
Yeah. That's much easier to enforce. To shut down a guy that has to market, that has to put the word out that he has pigs and to make that illegal, that's a much easier thing. Actively encourage the hunting population by making it 365 days a year. You know, let's wipe them out, but let's use the people. Let's give the people right. the access to it and the ability to do it. And this is, right. to me, it's a no-brainer because there's a, you don't want them. We're not, we're not talking about controlling and managing a population. We're actually talking about eliminating a population. Right. Cut them loose and then take all that time that was focused on the, all that tax dollar time that was focused on solving this pig problem and enforce the laws that, that deny people the ability, rightfully so, to bring an invasive species in or to commercialize the hunting of that invasive species. Not only do I think you'll solve it faster or better, I don't know that solve is the correct word because I'm not sure that pigs are a thing you ever actually solve. But you will make the situation better, faster, and cheaper. Right then and there. Two points. Two points. Number one, in most situations, you are correct from a solving perspective. However, Ontario has the ability to solve, just like the state of New York, that has actually eradicated pigs. And the reason they eradicated pigs was they, were, they stopped the hunting of pigs in the state of New York. Okay, number two. What, at a broader level, though, what you have just described is a social versus biological argument. Social, taxpayer, government, people involved hunting versus the biology of that species. And in this instance, my opinion is that biology trumps social. I don't know. I feel like in a couple of years, it's going to, it would just, it would explode to the point where they would go way beyond biological carrying capacity. And it's just going to be hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. The biology trumps, i.e. no hunting, get rid of it now. Yes. I'm all for doing that. Get rid of all the pigs. I, I cannot. And the, the best method is not to worry about the social construct that Cody laid out, which is the 90-10 right. impact, because it doesn't matter. Right. This is a unique situation based on a potential biological disaster mm -hmm. that is coming into the state. I, I completely disagree on ignoring the social construct because I don't believe that you have the biology to show me that the method you're talking about is better. I, I, don't. I have the biology that says that if someone brings in pigs and they procreate and they reproduce like pigs do and the population explodes like we've seen anywhere else in the country. Right. You have a massive problem on your hands that you will never fix. Yep. End of story. No, it's not the end of the story because you brought up New York and New York has a $3 billion debt and can't manage itself 
And the reason that they do that is because they take the stance that you're taking. They take this stance that the government has the best and purest methods to solve these problems. And we're going to decide and we're going to we're going to take into account these 10 percent and screw the 90 percent. That's why New York has the second highest debt of any state in the United States and is completely insolvable politically. These political things, these social things can't be ignored. Biology should trump. Science and data should trump, but they can't be ignored. And when we have the opportunity to let the people pay to be a part of the solution, it shouldn't be ignored for the sake of, well, it, this might happen. I'll never be in favor of restricting people's freedoms back to prevent what might happen. I'll never. And, and that... Well, we have we have clear examples, and I believe Missouri is another one, where hunting of pigs was banned. And in both scenarios, New York, there are no more pigs. Well, I don't know the I don't know the data. There may be pigs in New York, but clearly Missouri and New York have seen declines of pigs because of the fact that you have taken away. Mm -hmm that incentive and look i will agree with you that i think your second idea was a great idea put a ban on the books that says you cannot guide you cannot make money from pig hunting don't let that make it completely illegal I, for a non-resident to pig hunt yeah but the recreational opportunity is still enough incentive for someone to say mm, i'm going to release a pig but we don't eliminate elk in Colorado. We, we, but they're not an invasive species, we, Cody. They we don't abide do the by the guidelines. We abide by the guidelines enough to be effective in the management of the population. This is a very, but, very... But that's why I'm saying biology trumps. Yeah, because of the, the invasiveness of this animal. I am... I Look, I completely agree with you. Let the hunter do the work. Let the government don't. Why you? Why waste taxpayer dollars? Right. Right. I agree with you. Even Australia has the same scenario. Like, why is the government helicopter culling deer in the best sandbar population of the Royal National Park in Australia, where hunters would pay out the wazoo to hunt? What's them? the difference? Oh, so, so outfitters the in Australia will bring in deer. No. The difference is the biology of the animal and the destructive nature of a pig. That is it. I, I'm not... Uh, if it was any other animal, I'd be agree with you. If it was, if it was sambar deer, rooster deer, axis deer, name an exotic, I'd be okay with it. It's the fact that it's a pig. And it roots and destroys habitat and destroys agriculture and has a significant economic detriment to many, many, many people. And it reproduces like absolute wildfire. I, I get all those things. It's, and then it's an exaggerated example because of the reproductive and destructive nature of pigs. But I don't understand why it's any different than the helicopter culling of deer in Australia. I mean, they're, they're being culled for the same reason. There's too many and they're destructive. They're causing they're causing human wildlife conflict. You're just saying 
because this is worse. It's okay that the government eliminates people's opportunities and spends tax dollars. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I give you a lot of... On a gradient of invasive species, this is on the top. I I agree with that statement. It still doesn't make any sense to me that you don't issue... 500, 1,000, 1,500 tags in Ontario to existing hunters and let them go participate. Right. It doesn't, it makes, it makes, those those kinds of numbers of pigs are not available right now. So, okay, so 3,000, issue 3,000 and make sure we get them all, right? Like have the hunters help eliminate them. Don't issue a license to commercialize it. In fact, put a law on the books against commercializing it if you want to. Prosecute people very heavily that haul them in. I get you won't stop it. I don't believe that laws solve everything. But if you were to just issue a one-time tag this year, we're going to do one tag and we're going to cut hunters loose and you can have the pork. I think that's a better option than saying, hey, Joe Citizen, stay out of this. We're just going to spend your money. I, I, I'm always I'm, – I'm my I, – I have a lot of, of – and I very, very, very seldom argue with you in actually when it comes to wildlife biology things. I disagree on this one. I think that if you ordered, if you issued 1,500, 3,000, 4,000, how many hunters are there? How many, how many hunters hunted big game in Ontario last year? Give them all a tag and say, hey, go get a pig for us. I think that's a better method then and oh by the way we did pass a rule you can't do this commercially and if you bring them into ontario we will fry you we will smoke your ass i'm fine with that because they're an invasive species but to say no you can't be involved we're going to do this our way and spend your money on it no matter what you say is just not the it's just not my ethics i guess Aaron, final thoughts? Uh, I'm going to go with Cody on this one. Just because I think I, I, if you tell hunters, you know, it's sort of like what you said, Robbie. Hunters will pay. Like if I'm going to go, you know, pay five bucks for my tag or whatever, and I'm going to go hunt pig, let me, let me go do it. Let me pay the government as opposed to the government, you know, taking my money to go do the same thing that I want to do. But I think you're right. I had, I think you have to crack down and say, our goal is to eliminate this completely. We want to do it. You know, if, if, if the hunters can't do it in the first year, the first two years, the government can come in and wipe them all out. But I don't know. All of the examples that you gave, Robbie, of states, which I'm 100% aware, I've actually been, I won't drop names, but I've been to a place where I paid to hunt a pig that I know the pig was brought in, right? I I, I know that happens. I didn't realize that at the time, but I know that happens. Did any of those places do anything to prevent that when they decided, right? Like, I I, I think there's another layer of depth that I don't think Mississippi, Oklahoma, Texas has or previously had laws on the books saying, hey, we're trying to get rid of these things. You can't bring them in. You can't transport right. them, you can't move them, and you can't commercialize them. I think that there would that this would be over in a year in Ontario if you just issued tags to hunters. It would be over in a year. 
and the state would profit from it. I guess my position will be that in five years' time, there is a exploded feral pig population in the state of Ontario. The question will be, what if? Yep. And you'll you won't know the answer to that question. And these guys have decided that this is their their stance on making sure that they are not in that position in five years' time. Right. There's also the possibility that in five years time the state of Ontario has spent six million dollars of taxpayer money and they still have a pig problem that's a possibility as well while all of the people that were willing to help and in fact pay to help have stayed on the sidelines and not participated yep agree well Another good roundup, Cody, Aaron, thank you. Absolutely. Agave's done my, uh, my, um, famous grouse whiskey that my dad always drank is done. Is your cast iron bitch beer done? It is. Good. uh, Say the brewery's name once again, Aaron. It is Bigelow Brewing. They are in Skowhegan, Maine. They're, I have good no stuff. idea if the beer's good, but they can name a beer. I can tell you that much. Right. Oh, they have a whole collection of of amazing names. So when you come up here to Bear Hunt, we'll get we'll get some we'll Bigelow. Do some Bigelow. And- <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great night. Thanks. See you later. See you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.